This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. Hey, the Mets made a trade. Are we excited, ladies and gentlemen, as we all wait on the big decision from Yoshinabu Yamamoto? David Stearns made, I would say, his first rather significant trade as team president of the New York Mets. He acquired an old friend, Adrian Hauser. Adrian Hauser is the kind of guy that you had on your fantasy team at some point because you probably streamed him for a game or a week. So that's probably how you're familiar with him, besides maybe just remembering him with the Brewers. But the Mets acquire Adrian Hauser and Tyrone Taylor in exchange for Calman Coleman Crow, who they got for Eduardo Escobar. So if you really want to simplify this whole thing, The New York Mets traded Eduardo Escobar and got back, amongst another piece, Adrian Hauser and Tyrone Taylor. And I think when you view it that way, it's a no-brainer. It doesn't mean this is the kind of trade that is Gary Carter circa 1985 or Yoenis Espinas circa 2015, but the Mets got better. The Mets got a little bit better. Let me phrase it that way. They added depth to this rotation. God knows they need that. Adding an outfielder in Tyrone Taylor, considering they don't have a lot of outfielders in their 40-man roster. Again, it's a small positive. It's a small gain. It's not the ultimate gain. It's not turning the Mets into a championship contender, but they needed starting pitching. And Adrian Hauser fits that back of the rotation, maybe a sixth starter, especially if they do win on this Yamamoto Derby. They acquired a suitable arm and an arm that's better than their current options. And sometimes that's the way you have to look at things. Is Adrian Hauser, ask yourself this, is Adrian Hauser a better option as a swing, right-handed starter, maybe come out of the bullpen, than Tyler McGill? And the answer is probably yes. Is he a better swing option than Jose Budo? The answer is probably yes. I say probably only because McGill and Budo are still young enough where we don't know what the end game is for them. But we have an idea of who Adrian Hauser is. He's not going to strike a lot of guys out. He's a ground ball pitcher. He's got pretty good control. And if you look at him over the last three seasons, I think he's kind of showed you what he is. He can make 25 starts in a season. He'll pitch to a maybe a mid-four ERA, maybe a low-four ERA. You look at his numbers from a year ago with Milwaukee, made 21 starts, threw 111 innings, had a 4-1-2 ERA. Those are suitable numbers for the back of the rotation kind of guy. I used this analogy on the air today or yesterday or the day before, depending on when you're listening to this edition of Rico Bronia, with Tiki Barber when the Hauser trade went down. Because I think he said, oh, do you like it? It's like you're watching a painting. Bob Ross. Remember Bob Ross? 
We would do all the painting stuff. There's a tree. There's a little tree. Happy, happy little trees. Happy, happy little, little tree. Happy little tree over here. Happy little tree over here. <laughs> you don't know what the painting looks like till it's done. You don't. Like, does that tree look real? I don't know. I got to see what the whole painting looks like. So do I like the acquisition of Adrian Hauser? If he's the sixth guy in the rotation, yeah. But we don't know what the rest of the rotation looks like. There is still a major hole in the middle or front end of it. And so do I like the trade? Well, yeah. What's not to like about the trade? I mean, they they dealt the guy in Coleman Crow who had Tommy John surgery. We don't know anything about him, for being honest. They got him for Eduardo Escobar. Think about that. Eduardo Escobar, who had no value last year, this is one of the pitchers they got for him. So they traded a guy who was not a top 20 prospect. Maybe he was on the outskirts of it. And you got back two major league baseball players that can help you. So when you think about it that way, there's nothing to complain about other than, hey, I want someone better. Well, if you want someone better, hopefully we get that someone better, but you're not getting that someone better for Coleman Crow. <laughs> the fact that you got a major league baseball player and a guy that adds depth to this rotation, it's not a bad trade. It's just one of those trades that I think Pete will better evaluate when we see what the rest of this rotation looks like. They got better with this trade, but I think for most Met fans, it's okay, you got better. You're not better enough yet. Right, again, and, uh, you know, especially that you're you're making a trade with the Brewers. We're thinking about Corbin Burns. We're thinking about maybe some other pieces. It's nice to break bread with them, but those weren't the pieces we were looking for, uh, you know, in, in Adrian Hauser. Listen, is it going to be something significant this year? I don't think so at all. But in the grand scheme of things, like you said, it's, like, it's a puzzle piece right now. I have to give the benefit of the doubt to David Stearns, that he's building a, like, clearly he sees the mistakes of the past and is trying to fix them as best he can. And he's more worried about that than landing this big fish or whatever it's going to be. To well, I think, I think, I, I, I got to be honest real quick. I think David Stearns sees it's Yamamoto. And if it's not Yamamoto, everyone's basically the same. So we can go from there. Hey, I, I think I warned you and everybody about that at the beginning of this offseason that I, I put Otani in that too, and I, obviously I was wrong. Or maybe I was right, and the Mets just never truly had a shot at him. That they would go ha- <clears throat> excuse me, they would go hard after Otani. They'd go hard after Yamamoto. And if they don't get those guys, we're in for an offseason that maybe would disappoint most. That I don't think they're just going to turn around and throw money at somebody else because Yamamoto and or Otani didn't take that money. So I do kind of agree with you that in terms of star power, in terms of impactful guys, they're clearly going hard for Yamamoto. And we're not going to spend the whole podcast talking about him. I think we kind of know where things stand. The Mets are going to make a big offer. Teams are all making big offers. And we're going to find out relatively soon if he's going to come here or not. I don't have confidence. I've been very honest about that, whether it's on the air on the fan or it's here on the Rico and it's not a Robert's itis thing or being a negative thing. It's just, I don't know. I just don't think he's picking us for whatever reason. Cause we're the Mets. I don't know. I don't have a lot of confidence. I'd love to be wrong. I think it would be a great acquisition and worth the risk, despite the amount of money it's going to take. But I think you're right in that. That's the star they're going after. That's the big fish they're going after. 
And what I would want to see them do besides just signing Yamamoto is, can you get better for 2024? Can you compete in 2024 without hurting yourself in the future? And that's why I've been dead set against trading prospects, against trading significant prospects for rentals. That's why I was never interested in Juan Soto. And while, unless the package is different, I wouldn't be interested in Corbin Burns or Shane Bieber. I mentioned a scenario that was laid out by an emailer about a month ago that would I take Burns back if it meant taking Yelich's contract and not giving up big prospects? Of course. Use money as a weapon, don't use prospects. A trade like this accomplishes the goal of what I stated, which is the Mets got better in 2024. Now, you could argue they didn't get better enough. That's not my point. They got better for 2024. They added a major league pitcher to their roster. They added a major league fifth outfielder to their roster. And they did it by giving up a guy that's a non-prospect. By giving up a guy that, yeah, I guess three years from now will regret. But as of right now, is not a highly rated prospect. It's not a guy that's going to make a big impact on that would not make an impact on the Mets in 2024. Probably not in 2025. So they accomplished what I want if they're not getting a Yamamoto. Or in addition to acquiring Yamamoto, get better without hindering yourself in the future. And this trade accomplishes that. They got better in the short term. They picked up a little bit of money in the short term, but they did not hinder themselves for the future. And by the way, spoiler alert, that's overall what I'd want them to do in this offseason. That's why signing Justin Turner or J.D. Martinez on one-year deals appeal a hell of a lot more to me than going multi-year for Matt Chapman or Cody Ballinger. Those moves to me would be stupid. I'm not into moves like that. And when it comes to starting pitching, and so far they've added two legitimate starting pitchers, though they're not, you know, aces, and they're certainly not sure things in Luis Severino and Adrian Hauser, they added both guys without A, locking themselves up long-term to bad contracts, and B, giving up prospects. So from that standpoint, I'm good with it. Doesn't mean I'm having a party at my house about it. Doesn't mean I'm printing World Series tickets for it. But quality moves. As far as Tyrone Taylor is concerned, the Mets needed to add like a major league outfielder to their 40-man roster. This is something we've touched on a few times on the Rico. They have Brandon Nimmo. They have DJ Stewart. They have Starling Marte. They don't have much else when it comes to outfield depth. In fact, the two other outfielders on their 40-man roster until they made this deal were Cooper Hummel, who they recently picked up, another on-the-margins move, and Alex Romero is a big prospect that's not going to be here. So they needed to add a major league outfielder. Is Tyrone Taylor enough? Absolutely not. Tyrone Taylor is a fine fifth outfielder or fourth outfielder. This is where I find defensive metrics to be helpful because what am I going to say to you about Tyrone Taylor's defense without having defensive metrics? I couldn't tell you. I watch baseball a lot. I may have even watched, you know, nine Brewer games last year. That is certainly not going to be enough to tell you if Tyrone Taylor is good defensively. So this is where you got to trust defensive metrics. And the defensive metrics tell you he's an above average defensive center fielder and left fielder and right fielder. He has speed. So can he be a weapon coming off the bench, even though he's never been a big stolen base guy? Maybe. Stole nine bases last year. He only played half a season. But he does have speed. Uh, he's got a little bit of pop, a little bit of pop, 
because he did hit 17 home runs in 2022, but he's not much of a hitter. So here's what you got. Right-handed hitting outfielder, can play all three outfield positions, has good speed, plays pretty good defense, has a little bit of pop. You know what that is? That's a fourth outfielder. That's what that is. Do they need an everyday left fielder or an everyday second baseman so that Jeff McNeil could play left field? Yes. I think the Mets need two bats. That's my conclusion. They need a DH or a third baseman. And the reason I say or is because if you add a third baseman, Justin Turner, Brett Beatty can definitely be a part of the DH mix. And I am willing to give Beatty that runway to where he's going to get 500 at-bats. But you do need an outfielder. Or, like I said, a second baseman that pushes McNeil to the outfield. Because right now, with what you have on this roster, without hitting another bat, what's your everyday position player lineup look like? <laughs> you're, you're really stretching. You're basically playing, I don't even know, Brett Beatty at third base. You're playing, what, who's your DH? A platoon of Mark Vientos and DJ Stewart. And who's your left fielder? It's not DJ Stewart if he's DHing. So they need two bats. How you want those bats to be, I'd probably say a left fielder and Justin Turner, because I think Turner can also fill that DH role. But I still think they're looking to add two bats. But Tyrone Taylor is a fine fourth outfielder. What if I told you that Joey Wendell is probably going to see 140 games by playing utility and just playing around the field? Is that going to change your mind as far as do they need that? I'm not saying I, I want that to happen, but if that's the case, if that's maybe a plan of theirs, hey, they, we have a guy who's a super utility guy. He can play anything in the infield. Put him at second base if we need to. Put him at third base when we need to. Let's, I mean, there's a have- use to Joey Wendell, especially if he hits, getting enough at-bats because you could play him anywhere. I don't like going into opening day with me penciling him in for 140 games. Like that, I wouldn't love. There are different ways you could add a bat. Like, let's say it's J.D. Martinez, who you were a fan of a year ago. It doesn't seem like you're as excited about J.D. Martinez now. Why? Because he's a year older? A year older, injury issues towards the end of the season. And you just, you, again, it's like at some point in time, we're, we're, pushing, we're pushing our luck. Okay. I, I understand. I mean, J.D. Martinez is 36. So he's younger than Justin Turner by three years, which is kind of crazy. And while he did miss time last year, he's not really showing that he's slowing down when you look at his numbers. He had that mediocre season in 2022, and then he bounces back with one of the best seasons he's had in four years. So I don't I don't share the concerns with J.D. Martinez, but I do think that if they go J.D. instead of Justin Turner, it's a different way to do it, but I don't have an issue with it because I think what that means is JD's your DH and Beatty, yes, he's thrown into that mix at third base. While if Turner is signed, like Justin Turner and JD Martinez to me is too much. And I say that not because it's too much. I mean, both those guys are very productive players, but you kind of lose the avenue for Beatty to get consistent at bats, assuming he could perform. And I get a lot of Mets fans are down on him, but I'm not giving up on him. And I want there to be that roadmap for him to play. If J.D. Martinez is the DH every day and Justin Turner is the third baseman every day, there ain't any roadmap for Brett Betty to play. So I think you almost have to choose between the two. And I guess the appeal of Turner is that he can play third base. While J.D. Martinez, I mean, are you sticking him in the outfield at this point? Like, do, do you actually throw him out there? 
and stick him in the outfield? The answer is probably not. Like last year with the LA Dodgers, he played three games in the outfield. He hasn't done a lot. The year before that with Boston, he played zero games in the outfield. (laughs) Wow, okay. So he's basically proven to be a complete DH. While with Turner, he can DH, he can also play third base. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Uh, let's get to some of your emails because we got some very interesting thoughts that were sent to us. The Rico B at gmail.com. David Ramos has a couple of trade ideas. These are fun. You ready for some trade ideas, Pete? Ah, I love them. All right. Kevin Parada and Mark Vientos to the Miami Marlins for Sandy Alcantara. I know he's coming off of injury. He should be fine by 2025. His contract is very team-friendly. It's a bargain if he comes back, and he's 80% of what he used to be. By the way, 1,000% I would make that trade. I know Kevin is a top prospect. I get that. But Vientos, whatever. I have a chance to get a guy, even if he's not pitching for me this year, who, to David's point, he comes back. He's 80% of what he was. He's got a very team-friendly contract. He's not that far removed from winning a National League Cy Young. I think it would be stupid for the Marlins to ever trade a guy when his value is that low because he's coming off of an injury. But you put the trade together, my instant reaction to that is, F yeah, I'm making that trade. I, I Listen, I love Sandy, but last year was so bad, the injury issue. Uh, and eventually, like, we do need to play somebody in 2024. We would like to have some, like bullets in the chamber for 2024 so if that's the big move the Mets make um it's still it's I guess I would take I can't pass up on Alcantara but but I prefer not making that for this year you're crazy I mean I first of all parade is not coming up to the majors this year in all likelihood and so you're talking about for this year Mark Vientos is the sacrificial lamb for a guy who up until last year, like let's not just think the Cy Young year was the only good year he had, because that's not true. He had a really good year in 2021. He had a very quality year as a young pitcher in 2019. And if you believe that you can come back from Tommy John, which a lot of guys do, 
I'd trade for him in a half a second. And I, if the Marlins ever made him available, and again, it would make no sense for them to do that because of the value coming off of an injury, I, I, this isn't even a question. The fact you're hesitating disappoints me, Pete. It disappointed because I'm already <laughs> thinking that they're going to go sign Brandon Woodruff, who, again, is not going to pitch in 2024. We'll get him in 2025. It's like, I, I know 2025 is going to be great. I'd like to do something for this year. Well, and I, 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 but, but listen, it's not, not a bad move. Not a bad move. I'm not okay. telling it. By the way, I'm for Brandon Woodruff for that reason. Like, I get it. There are moves you make that you're not going to benefit from immediately. And I want to win in 2024. I don't want you to think that I'm content with sucking. I'm content with trying to put a productive team together, realizing the way baseball is nowadays where, hey, make the playoffs, you never know. But I also want to be positioned well for 25 and 26. Anyhow, the second trade David had was Jeff McNeil and Jose Quintana and Mike Vassell. So McNeil, Quintana, Vassell to the Blue Jays for Jose Barrios and Kevin Biggio. Kevin Biggio stinks, so whatever. So you're talking about Quintana, who's got one year left on his deal. So not married to him as solid as he is. He's got one year left on his deal. You're talking about McNeil and Vassal for Jose Barrios. Uh, you know what the problem is? I, li- I like Jose uh, Barrios. I think he'd be a-, a fine acquisition. And I don't think his contract's really that bad when you look at it, considering how reliable he is. This lineup needs help. And now you've eliminated Jeff McNeil. So... Unless you're going to turn around and go add three bats, you're kind of creating a, a new issue. Yeah, you say I, no to that trade, by the way, Pete. Yeah, I say no because I mean, again, McNeil isn't really the the issue there. I just don't think Ber- Ber- Berrios is the guy I we we want him to be. I, he's just as inconsistent as other people. Now, listen, what's his career ERA? Like, is it three seven four? Is it high? I if I had to guess, I haven't looked it up. I would say it's about three six would be my guess. He has but I'll look a, it up just to see if we're actually right. It's odd because I look at him every year and go, wow, the guy's got t- great stuff. But there are so many games he gets blown up. And are just like, you know, he goes two or three innings and gets ripped apart. I'm like, th- those inconsistencies always concern me because how long is that going to last? Is it just a blip or is it something that like it's going to happen eventually he's just going to go? Four one five ERA, and it's so kind of it really got brought up by twenty twenty two because in twenty twenty two he had a five two ERA last year three six five year before that year before the five two three three four eight year before that the twenty season was a four three six eight three eight four three eight nine so his ERA when you look at his numbers should be high threes. But that year he had in 2022, a 5-2-3 just balloons it up above four. That's kind of funny to think about. Jose Barrios, in his full seasons in the major leagues, has basically never had a year above four, except for the year he was at 5-2-3, which brings his career ERA to 4-1-5. That's my way of saying I'm wrong, but I still think I'm right. No, you're, you're right, <laughs> you're right but, but, that's, but that's the concern. See, it's it, to me, is he's pitched long enough now where – Okay, the the one outlier is the five plus ERA, but is that going to start a trend where every other year he's going to be bad and eventually fall off? Uh, Mondo writes, guys, if the Mets lose out on Yamamoto, fans will be furious, especially if he ends up in the Bronx. Given the low caliber players that Stearns and Cohen have brought in thus far, the failure to acquire top shelf talent will be a PR nightmare for the team. He is right, by the way, about that paragraph. Doesn't mean I'm mad. Doesn't mean you're mad. Doesn't mean we're happy. 
there will be negative PR around the Mets if their big offseason move is Luis Severino. I do agree with that, that they may have tried for Yamamoto. Trying doesn't do much for you unless it's horseshoes. Or no, that's close in horseshoes, not trying. Trying only helps when you're seven and you tell your kid, yes, you tried. Great job. So you are right. It would be a PR nightmare. With all this in mind, presuming Yamamoto signs elsewhere, do you think the Mets might shift their focus to getting an Alonzo extension done this offseason? It would be an enormously popular move with the fan base and a way to generate some positive vibes in what has otherwise been a dreary and disappointing offseason. We've made the assumption, ah, things go bad this offseason. Would they try to make the good PR move and sign Pete Alonso? So here's the way I would look at this. I don't think David Stearns would. Because I think David Stearns, first few months into his new job, I don't think he gives a rat's ass about PR. I don't think he cares what I'm saying on the radio or what people are tweeting about. I think he's comfortable in his own skin. It's his first year. The team wouldn't have played a game yet. I think David Stearns would not give a rat's patoot about PR. I think the owner would. I think Steve Cohen would. I think Steve Cohen probably does pay attention to what's being said about him. And I think he knows, yeah, my target was Yamamoto. I didn't get him. What can I do to at least give my fans something? So I think if it does lead to a Pete extension, it would be Cohen kind of doing what he did with Correa, where he calls up Scott Boris, has a drink in hand, and says, Scott, let's just get this done. So I think it's on the table. I know it would make me happy because a part of the long-term vision that the Mets have, but I'll tell you the part of the long-term vision I have is that Pete Alonso's on the team. And it's not simply he's my guy or I like him or he's a homegrown Met. Like all that's true, but it's also if the Mets are going to be good in 25, 26, and 27, wouldn't you want the most reliable slugger in baseball on your team? Sometimes it's as simple as that. Uh, it's a lot simpler than the Grom stuff. I, I think it is. Like the guy goes out and plays every game. He gets a lot of home runs. He's really good. Bring him back. Some may view it as a cheap PR move. I don't know if it's going to turn Pete's opinion around about the offseason, but I know for me, it would make me very happy. So despite the other disappointments, that move would work on a guy like me. It's weird. I would take it as a cop-out. I would take it as, like you said, we have to make the, the, the fan base happy, so here we go. We'll just sign Pete Alonzo. We'll fluff up the offseason. Hey, this is what we did. I, I hate that crap. I'd pr- much prefer this season them do nothing significant, let Pete go to free agency, test it out, and we still outbid everybody and say, Pete, we really want you here no matter what. This is owner. This is not David Stearns. David Stearns should not be pushed into anything. If Pete, if David Stearns doesn't want Pete Alonso to be on this team in 2025, then he shouldn't be forced into signing him because they couldn't do anything else. I, I genuinely agree most of the time. Like I don't want my owner forcing a GM or a team president to do what he wants to do. But I think where I battle on this is I think David Stearns is wrong if he doesn't want him on the team. So... I get it. Like you're, you're right about what you said. There's no reason a team president should be forced to have a guy on his roster. He doesn't want on his roster, but he'd be wrong to not want this guy on the roster. So it comes out. They sign Alonzo to an extension. I would put 
the greater good of they got something right done more so than, ah, this is a cheap publicity stunt or David Stearns is having his arm twisted. I would just be happy they got it done. And that's the thing is I would love to hear it too. But again, like David Stearns, the one thing I have to give him as much credit for, and I can't stand this offseason and I'm going to go crazy if Yamamoto doesn't come here because to me it's like, what what are we really doing? We're getting all these – these we're building up a roster, but I don't really see – where they're going. I don't see the direction yet. I just see that they're just building up with what they think is going to be good productive talent. But I will say, if David Stern's as smart as he freaking was we've been sold, this team's going to be great very soon because he's that smart. So I got to buy into his process. Sam Lowenthal writes, simple question. You've been firm that you're not interested in trading prospects for a rental, i.e. Burns Bieber. Neither am I. We agree on this, but it's got a but. Considering what the Dodgers did with Tyler Glass now, why can't that be explored with any of the other rental pitchers? If you tell me the rest of the big names are like Juan Soto, determined to get the free agency, then fine. But why wouldn't one of them agree to a Glass now type situation? And if they did, would you then be willing to give up a top prospect if a trade was contingent on the player agreeing to an extension now? I'd be more open to it. I'd be more open to it. It doesn't mean that's something that I'd be gung-ho about because I still like the idea of signing a pitcher where the only thing I'm giving up is a potential draft pick. That, that, That appeals to me. So it sucks to wait a year especially when you do want to win right now. But then you have to ask, if you were going to get this guy anyway, because a lot of it comes down to money, and are you going to be the highest bidder? So if you were going to get this guy anyway, is that significant prospect that you're trading away, name the guy, worth one year? As much as I want to win this year. And I know me saying that may sound like I don't care about winning. I do, but I care about the greater good. I care about where this team is, that they're not necessarily one player away. And when I say that, that doesn't mean they can't win in 2024. We just saw the Arizona Diamondbacks go to the World Series. It is foolish if someone tells you a team can't win next season. Of course, you can win next season. It comes down to, are you willing to give up key young pieces for the future to try and win next season? So I'd be more interested in a Shane Bieber, Corbin Burns type trade if I knew I was getting a long-term deal done, but I still ideally wouldn't want to trade anybody. Not right now. Okay, well, that's a question I have for you because not right now, but say this team, you know, floats. They're around 500, and then trade deadline comes around, and all of a sudden the same players we're talking about right now that are one-year rentals, now are going to be a half-year rentals, and we're actually close to making the playoffs, and we want to make that push, and we need that little extra jump. But they're looking for the same prospects that we don't want to get rid of. Are you willing to make a move then? <laughs> That's tricky. I see what you're doing. It's good, though. See what, see what I did there? <laughs> yeah. No, it's tricky because you're basically saying if the answer is yes, why the hell would you want to trade the same package for two months when you could have it for six months? Exactly. I think the answer is probably... I'm going to give you a cop-out answer. I'm sorry. I'm going to give you a cop-out. I think it depends where the team is and how we feel about the team. You know, if they're 60 and 60, 
and they're a game and a half out of a wild card spot. I, I don't know. I don't know if I'd be willing to do that. I'm not sure. And it also depends, like, what kind of year is that guy having? Like, if Shane Bieber, who has been up and down at times, has had a difficult time staying healthy, if he's having a Cy Young season, then maybe the answer is, yeah, I'll give him whatever the hell you want. I'm having a guy who's having a Cy Young season. I don't think it's going to flip because he's traded to New York. So I think circumstances would would lead to that. But look, I am more open if the guys want to sign an extension. The Dodgers got it done with Tyler Glass now. I happen to think Tyler Glass now is incredibly overrated. I think the Dodgers are really overrated. Uh, I really do. Like They get talked about as if there's some incredible super team. Dude, their rotation's got a lot of issues right now. A lot. Including Tyler Glass now, who's thrown 120 innings once in his career. Like, do we realize that? Or do we just assume everything the Dodgers do? Ah, it's amazing. It's incredible. Look, the Dodgers are going to probably win 100 games. They do it every single season. But they are not a perfect team. They are not the 98 Yankees on steroids because they got Shohei Otani. I'm sorry. You just just went from copping out on an answer to criticizing the Dodgers saying that they're overrated. What is going on? Well, they are overrated. What what the hell is their (laughs) rotate? Bobby Miller and Tyler Glass now supposed to scare me? Are we serious? Listen, I know. I know Walker Bueller. He's coming back from injury. We don't know what he is. We don't know what the hell he is coming off injury. injury. Yeah, I know, but we've said that about Dustin May, too. Like, I mean, they, when they come back, though, they've been pretty efficient when they do pitch. But how, when are they going to pitch? You're right. Tyler, t- uh, Tony Gonsolin wasn't last year when he was finally healthy. Pitched to a 5 ERA. I'm not trying to make this a criticize the Dodger podcast. I'm just saying, like, I think they're getting – people talk about them. You know what bothers me, I guess, here? Here's what it is. Super team. Super team, my ass. They, they're very good. They have a hell of a lineup. But, dude, that rotation's got major, major questions. They, they need Yamamoto in a lot of ways. <laughs> they do. Oh, By they the do. Way, they might get, they, that's why they might get him, because they're going to have to get somebody. I, I get it. I get why they're going after him. Speaking of Yamamoto, a couple of Yamamoto emails. Mike Christie writes, Evan, I'm listening to the pod right now, and I just had an epiphany. Maybe Uncle Steve said he hadn't heard from Otani's agent, so he could say to Yamamoto, quote, we don't want Otani. We want you. Pretty strong position to deal from, as well as having gone to Japan to meet with him and hosting him at Casa de Cohen. Maybe my tinfoil hat is on too tight on this one, but the rumors and Twitter are not helping. Mike. I like it, though. <laughs> I like it. He gets. He, he said to Yamamoto, we didn't even want Otani. We didn't have any interest in Otani. Want to know why? Because our eyes are only for you. Speaking of Otani, Brian writes, I think if the Mets get Yamamoto, the number starts with a four. I think the only way the Mets get him over the Yankees or Dodgers is to blow him away with a number that makes both of those teams uncomfortable. I assume there will be an opt-out in the contract, so this very well could turn into a short-term high AAV deal. I think the Mets need to pay him more than the Yankees pay Cole to make them uncomfortable. I'm not 100% sure $400 million will make the Dodgers uncomfortable, but I think the both the Yankees and the Dodgers are expecting to pay $300 million at a minimum, so I don't think 350 will scare them away. I really want this guy. I hope we get him, but like you, I'm not confident at all. I do think you're going to have to be the highest bidder by a decent amount of money. So let's talk about contract. You said $400 million. Let's take a step back. Because Tiki tried to make this point when we talked about Yamamoto on the air on Wednesday, which was 
Are you really going to pay that kind of money for a guy you've never seen pitch? Are you really going to pay that kind of money for a guy who's five foot ten? Are you really going to pay that kind of money for a guy who doesn't have the track record that Blake Snell has put together? And the answer I gave to him is the same answer I'll give right now. Yes. And the reason the answer is yes is because you are paying for what you think he can continue to be that he started accomplishing in Japan. And you're doing it because he's 25 years old. And you're doing it because you think the best is yet to come. And you're doing it because guys coming over from Japan over the last decade have been successful. Keigawa was a long time ago. Let's keep that in mind. Hideki Arabu was a long time ago. So if anyone brings those names up, just remind them, yeah, that was a long time ago, dude. So am I willing to go to $400 million? I am if I know the next highest bid is 320. Now, look, if, if the offers are coming in the twos and the Mets offer 400, that seems a little absurd. But I do think the Mets are still in this position where they have to overpay to get guys. And so I'm okay with overpaying. And I do make this promise that as much as he may be overpaid on the surface, I'm willing as a fan to say, yes, you do that. And I assume you're the same way, Pete. If he ends up getting a 10-year, $400 million contract, would you say, got to do it? Or would you criticize the length and scope of a deal like that? Well, let's put it this way. If by making that move, it prevents a lot of other things from ever happening because we can't make multiple moves like that. We can't assign people to $200 million contracts anymore. It's just Yamamoto and that's it. Then yeah, you, you can't make that. But I don't believe that our owner and our you know new GM or, or baseball uh, president of baseball operations is going to, to get Yamamoto and that's it. I think they're going to go above and beyond once they can. I think Yamamoto's just the start. So I'm all for it. I mean, dude, if the guy, I'm not saying, if he wanted $500 million for 15 years, do it. I just want the guy on the team. He needs to be here. He needs to be a Met. Stop with the BS. Just get him here. Yeah, and I think there's this sense of when we were excited about Steve Cohen, it was that when he identified a free agent he wanted, he was, he was not going to be outbid. I was not going to let anybody or anything get in the way. That's why, at the minimum, the Mets have to have the highest bid. At the minimum. They don't get them with the highest bid. It's It'll suck. I guess we'll parse like how high the bid was. But we cannot hear any story that the Mets did not make the highest offer for. Him. This is honestly, and I'm not even joking, this should be the first contract that in the contract it comes with the we will, if you pitch this certain way, we'll retire your number by X date. We will have a statue of you in the, you know, at this level of the, the ballpark, you know, the first year you retire. We'll have all these moments for you. Like, we should, like, have all this fine print of everything we will do to kiss his freaking ass. <laughs> Are you confident right now, by the way? Like, if you no. had to guess right now, do you think the Mets end up with him? No, he's going to the Dodgers. That's what you're convinced of? Yes. Okay. Huh? It's terrible. I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm convinced it's the Dodgers or the Yankees. I don't know if I'm necessarily at 
you know, it's definitely the Dodgers. But I, I unfortunately, I do kind of lean towards we're not getting him. I do agree with that. I I lost the email on this because I thought it was such a great question, and I apologize. But there was an email I had read, and it was such a great question about would I be willing as a Met fan to have the Mets play more games internationally because it could help land a Yamamoto in the future? A different, Obviously not him. He's a free agent now. But would I be willing? In fact, I found it. Kendrick Madrone wrote it. So Kendrick, good job out of you. I think it's worth discussing on the podcast about the idea of the Mets becoming Japan's team. Would you give up three home games a year to get the inside track on Japanese players? Maybe the way to get guys to come to the East Coast is to get them, make the youth of Japan become fans of our team by playing there each year. Do you think MLB would entertain this, similar to what the Jaguars have become for the NFL in Europe, of allowing the Mets to use three home games a year out in Japan? My thought would be to have a six-game series against a West Coast team in Japan. It could help turn the Japan into Met. It could help turn, I guess, Japanese fans into Met fans. We can sell free agents on the idea that once a season, they get to go back home for a week. Love the podcast, Kendrick. I got to tell you, I'm open to it. (laughs) I never thought I'd be willing to A, give up home games, and then B, want international games. Because when it comes to the NFL, I hate the international games. Like, I don't want the Jets playing in London. I don't want the Jets playing in Brazil. And I think a lot of it is selfish. I don't see there being any benefit. But what Kendrick laid out is a benefit. He laid out, go over to Japan every year. Sure, you got to watch a few games at 5 a.m. But if you want a kid to grow up and care about the New York Mets, maybe that'll help besides winning. Winning would help too. But... The answer is yes, I'd be willing to do that. Well, here's the thing, Well, it's not that much of an inconvenience during a regular season, 162 games. Like, yeah, you're, it's a few games here and there that's, that, that you have to wake up really early if you really want to watch because we DVR it. But, like, the West Coast games are just as bad for us, too. So it doesn't, to me, you play in freaking Mexico, play in Alaska – I, I don't I don't care as long as it's bringing attention to the game. And if you're going to tell me there's a benefit of us signing top level players from different you know parts of the of the of the of the world, let's do it. Yeah, I mean, I, unfortunately, that idea it's a great idea. We wouldn't even see the benefit of for a decade. Now that's not something like take Roki Sasaki, who's another young pitcher in Japan who wanted to get posted this year. His Japanese team didn't do it. Let's say five years from now, whenever he's eligible to become a true free agent, like that wouldn't help him come to the Mets. I guess the idea of playing a game in Japan every year, maybe, but that's minor. I don't think that would be the difference. I think what you're trying to do is change the youth. And that kind of thing takes a long time. That's not something that changes overnight. What it would do, though, is it would help with your playoff format. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, if you've never heard, by the way, I do have a playoff idea that I've been accused of being high when I created this idea. But instead of having a third wildcard team in the National League and the American League, that wildcard team would be a champion from Japan. And I would take a Japanese team and I'd put them in the Major League Baseball playoffs and just see what happens. It'd be a lot of fun. Travel issues, ah, don't worry about it. They'll play in the United States. Yeah, we'll tell them, sorry. Like, they would play 
the number one seed in each league. Okay, so the number one seed would already get that built-in advantage. I know they have a buy, so I guess it wouldn't work. The number three seed in each league, right? That first team that doesn't have a buy, they would play the Japanese team, and so all the games would be in their building, right? So it wouldn't have to be in Japan. And then as long as they keep advancing, they would be playing all the games in the United States. <laughs> that part may not be perfect, but I've always, I've always been drawn in by that. By the way, Every day for like the last six weeks, I had been checking the Mets schedule on the MLB app because they had not announced start times. And I found that interesting. Like, why, why have they not announced any start times? So while I was watching the New York Knicks just destroy the Brooklyn Nets in front of me, I needed like a five-minute break. You know, how often can you watch Mikael Bridges miss a shot? So I went on the MLB app, and all of a sudden I'm like, holy crap, they're the start times. So. Is there any news from this? There's one piece of information that I would like to share with anyone who has not been checking the MLB app for start times. The New York Mets at home will play a grand total of zero Saturday night baseball games. That may change with Fox, I admit. But last year, the Mets only played four o'clock games on Saturdays during the spring. And then come summertime, it was all seven o'clock games. Apparently, we didn't want that anymore. So when the Mets put that survey out at the end of the year that said, what start times do you prefer? Little did I know the answer was going to be, we don't want night games on Saturday. So I noticed that. Uh, It seems like there's less weekday afternoon games, but maybe I'm wrong about that. Actually, you know what? It seems like it's pretty much the same amount. But they do not play a Saturday night home game. First Saturday of the year against the Brewers, March 30th, 140. So not even 110, 140. April 13th, Saturday against the Royals, 140. Saturday, April 27th against the Cardinals, 410. Saturday, May 11th against the Braves, 410. Saturday, May 25th against the Giants, 140. Saturday, June 1st against Arizona, 410. Saturday, June 15th against San Diego, 410. Then it's 410 the rest of the way. So a lot of 410 games, couple of 140 games, zero seven o'clock games. Pete, you react. Do you like that? Um, yeah, I guess so for the weekend because I feel like you want to do a lot of other things. Like I, I don't know if people want to go to the ballpark on Saturday night. You have a whole day. I think you want to be able to chill and you have other things you want to do. So go during the day. But on the other hand, people playing sports like the kids. I don't know how you're gonna have. To, I, I, it's, it's a six dozen to one, half dozen to the other. I, I, it's not gonna work out either way. Four o'clock, I guess, is the best time. I think four o'clock is the worst time. I, I, let me, let me lay this out for you. And I look, I think when it comes to start times, it's all about where you are in life. Do you have kids? Do you not have kids? If I was talking to twenty-two-year-old Evan, I wouldn't give a rat's ass. I'd be like, yeah, whatever. When's the game? I'm at. Obviously, with kids, things are different. I think four o'clock games take up the entire day because mm. if you're going to go to a four o'clock game, you're probably leaving your home, depending on where you're living. Let's say two o'clock, right? Two, two, two o'clock, two thirty, maybe earlier. The game is over at six thirty-seven, which means you're not getting home till eight nine o'clock. So the afternoon is kind of gone because you got to leave by two o'clock, and your night, unless you're a party animal, that's pretty much gone too. When there were seven o'clock games. 
I looked at it as I got the whole day, whole day with my family, leave at five o'clock to go to the game. And then, yeah, the game ends at 10 o'clock at night. It's nighttime, whatever. So my first reaction this is just me. And obviously I'm in the minority because I would assume the Mets did polls on this. And that's how they came up with, we're not going to have any more Saturday night games. But my reaction was, eh, I don't love it. That's just me though. Now, the only thing is, unless there's concerts attached to some of those dates, like, I mean, are there, I know Green Day and Blink-22 are playing, but I'm assuming that's when they're not around. Yeah, usually those concerts are standalones and they're not attached to the Mets. Now, maybe they will have promotions that feature that, but not that I'm aware of. And then the other thing, too, is I I do want to know, do you have Sunday night games? Do you have a list of that at all, or that hasn't no, been put out yet? No, all the Sunday games are listed at 1 o'clock, but in fairness, ESPN has not picked out the games yet, so that's card subject to change. Same thing, by the way, with these Saturday games. Obviously, Fox, once the national schedule is divvied up, some of these start times will change. Same thing with Sunday night. ESPN hasn't announced it yet, so like I could guess, just looking at some of the teams they play, like I would bet May 12th, Sunday Mets Braves, that'll get flexed into a prime time. That that's one right off the top. Where I'd say that could get flexed in a prime time. They play him again July 28th, Mets Braves, that could be flexed. Uh Mets Phillies in late September, maybe. I guess it depends on how the season's going. But earlier than that, there's not a lot. Like Mets Giants, maybe. Mets Cardinals, maybe. Mets Royals, no way. Mets Brewers, probably not. Mets Diamondbacks, probably not. But it was good to see start times. I'm excited about that. It makes the season feel even realer that we're getting closer and closer. I mean, we are closer and closer to Christmas. We are closer and closer to New Year's. We are within 100 days of the start of the baseball season. So that part's very exciting. Now, let's lay out this Yamamoto instant reaction thing. Let's just have an open discussion about this. I am going, as I've said on the radio, maybe you don't listen to my radio show. You should, though. Two o'clock, me and Tiki, whatever. I'm going to Disney World. I'm taking my family for Christmas to Disney World. Now, my beautiful wife also understands that I have a commitment to you guys and the Rico. So she was hoping that Yamamoto would sign by Wednesday. Now, by the way, we will have Rico Bronias throughout my vacation. We have recorded some very fun Ricos. I'll be the first to tell you. A lot of historical reflections, one of which is a great conversation about one-year wonders in Met history. A great conversation about what was the best season in Met history. So those will come your way throughout the holidays. But I promise you, whenever Yamamoto signs, whether it's the Mets or the Yankees or the Dodgers, we will, in as timely a fashion as we can, give you an instant reaction. For example, if Yamamoto signs Friday morning at 2 a.m. until Friday night at about 8 o'clock, I'm going to be driving to Florida. Easy podcast, Pete. I click the phone on. You hit record. We're doing a Rico while I'm driving to Florida. And by the way, that sounds like a lot of fun. (laughs) I think my family would love it too. Hey, I'm at South of the Border. Let's talk Yamamoto. Hey, I'm passing Savannah. Let's talk Yamamoto. If he signs after that, which means over the weekend and then into next week, It will be after we're done with a theme park. So you'll probably have to wait from when the news falls out and is official to, I'd say, later that night. Because as Hoffman knows, Pete's a a Disney expert. I'm going to do all the rides with the kids. 
I am not recording live from actual Disney World. Like, I can't do it from the teacups. I can't do that. That'd be wrong. That'd be dirty in so many ways. Not, not that that'd be wrong. It's impossible. You're just The kids are going to pull you every di- different direction. There's no chance to stop when you're at a park. But listen, I've recorded now, I think, two or three different podcasts from Disney late night. That's fine. You'll Bang. have a lot of relax. The kids are going to be passed out. Yes. You'll have enough time by yourself. So I'm just warning everybody, whenever the Yamamoto news comes, we will give you an instant reaction. Just give us some time. <laughs> let, let me wear the kids out. And then, yes, we will record one. So we'll be giving that to you. It's something to look forward to after Yamamoto spurns us for the Yankees. I really, I, I cannot wait to find out where you are when you hear the news. Is it going to be on like, I'm on the Dumbo ride and you start <laughs> breaking down crying and Spence like, dad, what's going on? Why are you crying? Like, I'm, 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 I'm waiting to hear how this well, all breaks down for you. I, I'm leaning towards like, I'll have my phone on me, but I'm not going to check it very often. And so I don't think I'm going to know for a while. Now, I did tell Tiki he can call me to break the news. So let's say Yamamoto signs wherever. I'm probably not going to know for a while because I'm not going to be nosing my phone while I'm with my kids at Disney World. But I do have my phone in case I get a phone call. Like, I don't know. It's an emergency at home. And if I see Tiki calling me, I'll know he's going to break me the news. Except he's so douchey right now about not thinking Yamamoto's good that he would say, Hey, Evan, I got great news. And I'd be like, we got him. And he'll say, nope, you avoided that mess. Congratulations. <laughs> and that's not really how I want to hear it. <laughs> Listen, I love Tiki, but he's wrong. I understand that this is a whole huge, a lot of money for someone that we've never seen before. But these are the type of risks you need. And I'll tell you this much. I don't want to see, no offense to any of the Japanese players, I don't need to see a second fiddle. I don't need to go, oh, you know, we didn't get the number one guy. Let's go for the, the next rated guy. No, it's Yamamoto or we don't get anybody from Japan this year. I'm sorry. Oh, come on. That's ridiculous. You're not going to go no. after Shota Imanaga because you didn't get Yamamoto? What if he's good? Even if hold, he's not oh, as good. Oh, hold on. Let me just say, it's nothing about, nothing about their cult, nothing about the, 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 the players there, but just, just think about this. Matt Holiday, Jason Bay. No, I get you. That, that's where I'm thinking. Like, we always go second fiddle. That doesn't work out. So let's, let's just temper our expectations. All right. All right. You can email us anytime you want. We'll get to them eventually. The Rico B at gmail.com. The Rico B at gmail.com. As soon as Yamamoto signs, you'll get a podcast. But definitely take a listen. Coming up around Christmas in the next edition of Rico, we talk about one hit wonders, one year wonders in Met history. So it's a fun conversation. Plus, we'll go through some of the greatest seasons in Met history. And obviously, we'll pop in whenever there is breaking news around the New York Mets. Thank you for listening and downloading Rico Brogdon. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rico Bronya podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times. 